0: Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode number 237 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero for Ring Magazine, RingTV.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. You can listen live also on Spreaker, SoundCloud, iTunes, all of them all around the world. So we got a loaded show for you guys today, man. It actually, it feels really, really good. We've got... Tons of stuff to preview, and I feel like it's been forever since I had a huge preview like this. We have a big boxing weekend coming up, specifically this Saturday, September 26th. So no guests on today's show, because I want to do a really, really detailed preview of the big pay-per-view show. But that's not the only card we got going on this Saturday, right? And then also I wanted to look at the fall schedule, because it's really coming together. I think, uh, look... COVID, I've talked about this on other shows, COVID really hit boxing hard because fighters, the big-name fighters that make the big salaries, the guys that are pulling in seven, eight figures, they need fans in the stands. So it's delayed a lot of the big matchups that we're expecting this year. But uh, we've got some pretty good stuff to look forward to this fall, and it really kicks off this weekend. So I'll talk about that a little bit. We'll do uh, a little... Review of what we saw last weekend. You know, a lot of people shit all over the cards last weekend and said they were terrible. I didn't think they were terrible, particularly the PBC show on Showtime. I thought it was a pretty solid card. It wasn't great, but it was pretty solid, man. So anyway, before I get started with that, guys, uh, phone lines are open. If you want to get on the line, call in. You guys know the numbers, 213 267 Seven seven eight seven in the USA. In the UK, it's o two o eight one o three six o five one. As always, I remind you: please make sure you smash that thumbs up button if you're watching here on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the Ring Digital and you click the notification bells. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel Montero Unboxing, and make sure that you're subscribed to all of the audio platforms that this show is on, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio. And all the rest. There's a million of them. Okay, so uh, let's see. We got a few of you guys here in the chat. Pietro's on. What's up, Pietro? I'm rocking your shirt right now. The uh, One of your Arturo shirts. Awesome, brother. Awesome stuff. Guys, you should check out P.S. Shirts. He does some awesome, awesome work. Okay, so this is TNC 237 for the week of September 26th. Let's get right into these news and notes, man. Uh, Showbox will return from COVID. Charles Conwell going up against... Uh, Guest to the show recently, right? Charles Conwell going up against Wendy Toussaint, 154 pounds. Uh, prospects, uh, I'm real high on Charles Conwell, and that's going to be October 7th. So it's going to be the return to Showbox from uh, from COVID, right? I, I think the last card was either February. It might have been March. It might have been March. So it's been at least six months since we've seen Showbox, and it's one of those developmental series that's so important, so so vital to boxing, so it's awesome to have that back, uh, also, uh, Lomachenko Lopez, that's going to be October 17th, you know, we talked about that before, but the undercard, starting to come together, Alex Saucedo, going up against Arnold Barboza Jr., that's a pretty good co-feature, all right, the Clay Collard's going to be on against the Cannes, a couple other guys uh, are going to be on against cans. I'm not necessarily interested in those fights, I mean, you know, I'll check them out, of course. But I like saucedo Barbosa. So uh, Barbosa is 24-0 out of Los Angeles. Saucedo, 30-1. He only has that one loss, right? So these are two uh, young, hungry guys. And I think this is going to be an interesting co-feature. Also, uh, we got the rematch between Dillian White and Alexander Povetkin coming up November 21st. That date is confirmed for Matchroom. The site is TBA, but it will be over in the UK somewhere, obviously. Over there, it's going to be Sky Sports pay-per-view. Uh, some people don't love that, but that's that's what it's going to be. Over here in the USA, it's on DAZN. DAZN needs material badly, so this is a good fight for DAZN. Of course, the first one produced the knockout of the year from Alexander Povekian. I don't think anything's going to beat that knockout. We actually saw some, uh, some good knockdowns this weekend. We've had some good knockdowns throughout the year, but one-punch knockout? That's not going to be beat, man. And I don't think... Some of you guys don't like this rematch happening so soon because the turnaround, I want to say it's like 11 weeks or something like that. And a few of you have asked me about it and even compared it to when Canelo Alvarez fought Sergei Kovalev. It's very, very different for a multitude of reasons, including career trajectory. Dillian White is much younger and fresher than Sergei Kovalev was. Uh, but Sergei Kovalev had been stopped multiple times, and he had been in wars. He had been in brutal, brutal wars. And I want to say he only had like eight or nine weeks turnaround for his fight with uh, with Canelo Alvarez. And uh, Sergei Kovalev is bigger, Canelo Alvarez moving up in weight. I understand all that. But the previous fight before, Kovalev, when he fought Anthony Yard... He was almost knocked out, and it wasn't a one-punch type of deal. He was beat up at times in that fight. I can't remember what round it was, but he was... I mean, it was pretty much a 10-8 round. I, man, I, I wish I could remember which round it was, but you guys who saw the fight, you know which round I'm talking about. Kovalev was all, all but out on his feet, and if he, wouldn't, if he wouldn't have been in such great shape, he was actually in really good shape for that Anthony Yard fight. He took it very seriously. If he hadn't been in that good of shape, he would have got knocked out right and dead and there. The version of him that fought um Eladir Alvarez in the first fight that got knocked out, yeah. If that version had showed up against Anthony Yard, he wouldn't have escaped that round. And let's see, uh Davidian Simmons in the chat says eighth round. Yeah. So it's the eighth round of that fight. So he really, really took a, a brutal, I don't want to say beating. With a lot of punishment in that fight, and he had taken punishment in plenty of other fights, and he had been stopped multiple times going into that fight with Canelo, and he only had an eight week camp. I think um he didn't even get to spar the first, you know, a few weeks of camp. So it was a very, very abbreviated camp. It wasn't a good camp for him. The turnaround was too short. For Delia White, man, he was winning the fight against Povetkin. And people have 20-20 hindsight, and now everyone's saying, oh, that was an even fight at the time of the stoppage, and I scored the first two or three rounds for Povekian. Shut up. Watching that fight live, maybe some of you did give Povekian the first or second round. But there were two knockdowns, two knockdowns. I think in the fourth round was the fifth round where White got clipped. But at that time, going into the fifth round, all of you, all of you, Thought White was in control. Don't give me this shit that it felt like an even fight going into that fifth round. So it's a much different situation. And White got a few weeks off. A few weeks off after that one-punch knockout. And he's going to get his full six, seven, eight-week regular camp for the Povetkin rematch. So call me crazy. I actually tweeted about this. And a lot of you guys out there actually agree with me because you're smart. Uh, White should be favored in this rematch I, I think he's going to be the favorite And I think he's going to win I think he's going to beat povac in the rematch I don't mind them going right back at it I think it's smart And for both of these fighters And for Matchroom They're staying busy Why wait until next year? Why do that? The first fight was very good Now you do the second fight To make it happen and make it happen so fast you got to do a pay-per-view I understand Some people in the UK don't like that but when you factor in the American money through the zone, and then you've got Russian TV money, and other countries are involved as well. The zone's in so many different markets, and it's on in a bunch of different countries. I think that this will be a, a profitable show. So I, I like that they're going right back to the rematch. Speaking of Matroom, they are getting their Dizone, I should say Matchroom USA, they're getting their Dizone schedule together for the rest of the year. Uh, so let's see, late October. Don't have a date yet, an exact date, but it will be late October. You're probably going to get Juan Francisco Estrada versus Carlos Cuadras, the rematch. These guys fought once before. It was a good fight. They're doing a rematch. On that card, you're going to get Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez in the co-feature. What Matchroom is is betting on and hoping for is that both Estrada and Chocolatito win. So you get a rematch between those two early next year. I love that because I love... When you have cards like this that build to something later on down the line, it gives fans a storyline. And that's something that boxing doesn't do very well these days. It's something that they do much, much better over at the UFC, right? So I like this. I like that this can build to something. Also on that card, uh, Julio Cesar Martinez will defend his flyweight title, I do believe. So November, Matrim USA is planning two different cards. Uh, Devin Haney will probably fight, don't shoot the messenger guys, but probably fight Yoriokas Gamboa. I don't love that fight either, but I think the thinking in the Devin Haney slash matchroom camp is Yoriokas Gamboa, yeah, he got dropped and beat up against Gervonta Tank Davis in Atlanta last year, but he went the distance, right? or he went very late in that fight. I think, was it a late knockout? I can't even remember, to be honest. I think it was a late knockout. But he went deep into that fight, and he was basically fighting on one leg. So if Haney could go in there and blast him out in three or four rounds, which I think he probably will, maybe it goes five or six rounds, he's going to hold that up and say, hey, look, I got rid of this guy, and half the time it took Javante Davis, right? And he had two healthy legs this time. So I think that's the marketing thing that they're going to do there. We all know that really doesn't freaking matter because triangle theories don't work. But casual fans without that sort of nuanced, you know, knowledge, that kind of stuff works on them. It works all the time. And uh, Filip Pergovich, undefeated heavyweight prospect, will probably be in the co-feature. That's probably November 7th. Real quick, super chat pledge from Deed3440. Thank you so much, Deed. Appreciate that. He asked, when is is Gennady Golovkin fighting this year? Great freaking question. Um, I I do believe the plans are for Gennady to fight in the fourth quarter, which we're almost in anyway, so no shit, right? But likely December at the very, very end of the year. I know he still has that mandatory uh, Sir Meza, I think it's the name uh, Polish fighter for his middleweight, the one middleweight title Gennady now has. And uh, he has to take care of that mandatory before he can move forward with, with other business. I know Gennady and his team still want the third Canelo fight. We know the wants it. We know golden boy promotions wants it. We know Canelo Alvarez doesn't want it. And there's a lot, you know, still to be decided with that whole lawsuit fiasco that was dismissed, and who knows if it'll be reissued or not from Canelo. But So we don't know what the future holds. But we know Gennady wants the big fight. So we know he, he'd he love a third fight with Canelo, maybe possibly move up to 168 and fight a name there. But it, there's always de Murata over in Japan. There, that's an option. But before he can do any of that, he's got the mandatory. And that's who they wanted to fight earlier this year. They actually... We're trying to fight him as early as like February and March. And I think they were targeting Chicago actually to do that fight. But it just, it kept falling through and then COVID hit. So I don't know, dude, but it should be late this year, probably December uh, against the Polish fighter. There is a possibility though, he may not fight this year. And if he doesn't fight this year, uh, I think that's a shame. He's one of the top five names in the sport right now. So it is very possible we don't see Canelo or Golovkin this year. It is possible. Canelo, I don't think, is fighting. Who knows? Maybe him and Golden Boy and DAZN will patch things up, and the lawsuit won't be reinstated, and maybe he'll fight at the very end of the year against a guy like, I don't know, Callum Smith. I think it's highly unlikely, but possible. For Golovkin... I still think he'll fight the Polish guy late this year, December-ish. But it is possible, dude. It gets pushed back to January, February. It'd be a shame, but it's very, very possible. Also, uh, back to Batrim USA. I talked about the November 7th card late November. I think the weekend after Thanksgiving, they are planning of uh, the return of Danny Jacobs, probably against John Ryder. Not a terrible fight. And Demetrius Andrade in the co-feature. So, you know, the zone that's through November, right? Now, you just asked about Triple G in the in the chat. Right now, the zone doesn't have anything scheduled for December, at least not officially. So I think they're they're hoping, they're they're banking on Golovkin getting a fight done. Possibly Canelo, if that could be worked out, but at least Gennady. They want a big name to be on board. Maybe it's Anthony Joshua versus Kubrat Pulev. Those types of fights, those types of names being their December fight to get subscribers back for that month. Right now, they don't have anything in December. So we shall see. Right in the middle of November, November 14th, Terrence Crawford versus Kell Brook being targeted. Again, don't shoot the messenger. I don't love this fight, but I'll be honest, I don't necessarily hate it. Kel Brook has lost a couple times, and he's lost pretty badly because he got his face shattered, literally. But he was competitive at times. He he's competitive for a round or two against Golovkin. But I thought he was beating Errol Spence halfway through their fight, maybe even two-thirds through their fight. I thought Brook was ahead or even with Spence. So he's always competitive. And you know what? All things considered, COVID and everything that's going on, If you get Crawford and Brooke on regular ESPN here in America, no pay-per-view, I don't hate the fight. I think we could do a lot worse. We could certainly do a lot better. I get it, okay? I'd love to see Terrence Crawford fighting Errol Spence on pay-per-view November 14th. That is what boxing really needs right now. But if it's on regular ESPN and you get Lomachenko-Lopez on regular ESPN in October, And then in November, you get Terrence Crawford and Kel Brook on regular ESPN. Guys, that's not bad. That's really not bad. All right. All right. A couple more on the schedule here. Uh, The 2020 USA Boxing National Championships. They are going to have national championships this year. And so USA Boxing, the amateurs over here. And it's going to be in Shreveport, Louisiana. The The boxing hotbed of Shreveport, Louisiana. At the Shreveport Convention Center, December 5th through 12th. So I wanted to throw that out there. Because I've had a few of you guys ask, what's up with the amateurs right now? What are they getting back? There's actually been some amateur cards I've seen on the record. Um, there, there was a show here in Georgia recently. Not in Atlanta, but somewhere in Georgia. So uh, some of the cards are getting back to action in this part of the country. And they're going to put on the 2020 U.S. National Championships in Shreveport in December and then last but not least Bob Arum is talking about December 19th Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder the third fight now I've I've talked about this before on previous episodes Allegiant Stadium Las Vegas but there's a new wrinkle they they really think if they change the bubble protocol that they're going to be able to get some fans in attendance now it might only be 5,000 people. Maybe it's 8,000, whatever. I don't even think it'll be at 50% capacity. But for those of you who would want to go to that fight, it's looking more and more like a real possibility. That Because I've had a lot of you guys ask, man, when the hell will big-time boxing come back? When the hell can I buy a ticket and go to a fight? And not just a club show, but a big fight. Well, it might happen December 19th. It's looking more and more like a possibility. The people that I know there in the commission and the people related to this situation that I've talked to, they're they're trying to, you know, they have a bubble protocol there at the MGM Grand. Top Rank does, and it coincides with NSAC and what the Nevada authorities want to get fans in there in December post-election, which I do think a lot of stuff is going to start opening up after the presidential election in, in November, a lot of this shit, you guys know how it is. It always comes down to politics. Not to pick one side or another. All Both sides do all this shit. But that's, you know, pr- just trust me. After the election, shit's going to start opening up a little bit. And I think that December 19th, it's very possible that you guys might be able to actually attend a live uh, boxing match. And actually, I'm just thinking, Allegiant Stadium. I want to say, like, the, the, I don't know the exact uh, seating capacity for that venue, but it's definitely more than twenty thousand, so i don't know what it is because it's an NFL stadium, and generally they seat at least fifty thousand so if they can get a quarter of it full man maybe we, maybe you get a crowd of 10, 15,000 people, you have to sit three seats apart or something all that's kind of being explored and worked out. Uh, people would maybe have to wear a mask i don't know you probably have to take your temperature and all that kind of stuff as you go in. there would be protocols. But you guys might get big time boxing by the end of the year. And I think that's a positive, man. That's a net positive because people are dying for it. And we know that we're going to get the third fight between Fury and Wilder. I'd rather knock that shit out this year so that we can move on in the heavyweight division to bigger and better things in 2021. And really, you could say that about the entire boxing business in general, right? Let's get these placeholders out of the damn way and get to bigger business next year. Let's not kick the can down the road. All uh, Let's look over here in the chat real quick. Uh, Captain Hook Chronicles on the chat. What's up, brother? He says, uh, they do the IBF mandatory fight in October 17th in Germany to know the new challenger for Triple G. Oh, okay. So there's an IBF eliminator fight, I think is what you're saying. Okay. That's October 17th. Patrice Volney is going to be on that fight. Okay. So that determines the new... Ma- I thought... Uh, I thought it was the Polish kid, but yeah, October seventeenth. I wonder in Germany if they let fans in yet. Anyway, uh, Davidian Simmons in the chat says, "Hey, great content. God bless everyone in the chat. One hundred. Thank you so much. I appreciate that, my man." All right, guys. Uh, man, no one, no one calling in, and very few of you on the chat. So you know, I, I realized something. We have a big, a big weekend in boxing coming up. We have a loaded Saturday, but. It's really not a crossover type of event. Neither, None of the fights this weekend are. They really are for the diehard fans. Uh, this is a diehard... It's loaded for diehard fans, but it's not the crossover appeal because the week of the Fury-Wilder rematch, when I was doing that preview, there was a ton of people on. There was just buzz and excitement because that really had that crossover appeal. As good as this Charlo, uh, this Charlo double-header pay-per-view is... It just doesn't have that crossover appeal, man. Okay, let's, uh, let's do a quick review. Saturday, September 19th, top rank on ESPN. Jose Pedraza scores a unanimous decision win over Javier Molina, as I told you guys he would. 99-91, 98-92 twice. And F.A. Ajagba and Robisi Ramirez scored distance wins. A lot of people shitting on F.A. Jagba's top rank debut. Look, do I think he looked great? No, but he got rounds in. It was you. What I saw is somebody trying to work on some stuff. Now, he's definitely in his head. I think he's been reading the tweets and the complaints from people. And I think uh, maybe he's listening a little bit too much to that because he, he's thinking. But I like that he's trying different things. I saw him trying a couple different things in this fight that he wasn't trying before. He was kind of just going out there and just fighting. And he's, he's thinking a little bit now, setting things up. Top Rank knows what they're doing. Do I see a future champion in FAA Jagba? No. Do I see some future fun fights? Once he steps up and gets in there with a guy that can crack and punch back at him, he can still punch. Uh, I think it's gonna he's going to make for some fun fights. But I don't see a future champion. But not everyone's going to be a champion, guys. And he's still young and learning. So chill out a little bit. I think a lot of you guys just... Jumped all over this dude way too quick. And you should never do that with a prospect. Okay, PBC on Showtime. This was a TGB promotions card at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. And I saw people shitting on this card left and right. And I I, I covered this card for ringtv.com, full disclosure. Check out my three articles there, my three recaps on ringtv.com uh, about this card. But I thought it was a pretty solid card. Now, the main event sucked. It, the last three, four rounds were pretty good, but the first two fights were pretty solid, man. I thought there was some pretty good action there. So Jaron Boots Ennis improves to 26-0. and 0. So for everything I just said about Efea Jagba related to prospects, I'm going to be a complete hypocrite. I am all in on jerron Boots Ennis, okay? I've told you guys before, he's one of the top prospects in boxing. I love that him and Virgil Ortiz are in the welterweight division right now. They will both be junior middleweights in the next two or three years. And they might settle at super middleweight. They may eventually get to super middleweight, seriously. But the the prime of their careers will be at 154, 160. These guys, you would hope, you really, really, really would hope, Virgil Ortiz and Jaron Boots Ennis should fight two or three times over the next five years. That's what you hope happens. Unfortunately, because this is boxing, Ennis is now aligned with the PBC. They don't do business with Oscar. And, you know, Virgil's over at Golden Boy. They're going to market themselves two different ways. Virgil Ortiz is going to be a West Coast fighter with the Mexican-American fan base. Boots is going to be an East Coast fighter with the African-American fan base. You already know all these guys are going to be promoted. Expect to see Boots, once he's winning titles and at that level, fighting at Barclays in Brooklyn and then eventually doing pay-per-views and stuff in, uh, in Las Vegas, and expect at some point Virgil Ortiz to become the new guy for, for Golden Boy to promote around uh, the, the two Mexican holidays in Las Vegas or maybe Southern California. You can kind of see, and then of course Virgil Ortiz will fight in Texas as well where he's from. And there's a you know, growing uh, fan base and a growing boxing business there. But you can see how these guys are going to be marketed, right? The, the writing's on the wall. But I'm all in on this as, as I call him a prospect because Washington well, State, TKO 6 win over Juan Carlos Abreu. I kind of jumped ahead there. Uh, the Dominican fighter who's never been stopped before. He's old. He's been softened up by Humberto Soto, uh, Jamal James, Igodigis Kavanauskas, Alexander Besputin. All those were distance fights that were grueling. It took a lot of punishment in those fights. But the way he got dropped in the fifth round off of that step-back counter uppercut from Ennis, that was some shit that's really hard to teach. You could do that kind of stuff on the mitts. You see kids doing that. But to do it in a fight, to do it in sparring, to do it in a fight, that's another thing. Uh, It's one thing to step forward if you got a guy lunging in. And hit him with a with an uppercut like that that that's not that difficult, but to you know a is sh- shooting i think um I want to say it was a left hand, like a straight left, kind of like a hard jab, and it wasn't just a pong jab, it was a hard jab and Ennis stepped back, made him miss, and then boom cut him with that uppercut, and he threw it from the hip. That's, I think, why Abru didn't see it. It wasn't right here up top where he could see it and he just touched him. He wound it up from the hip and was able to shoot that from the right angle, get enough leverage. Abru didn't see it coming, and he never recovered. It was beautiful. And it was, I can't put it past Povetkin's knockout of white because Povetkin, his uppercut was even more beautiful, number one, but number two, it was a one-punch knockout, right? This wasn't a one-punch knockout. But it broke the granite of Abreu, who, who's been in with some top dudes. You heard the names I just named. Those are all solid fighters he's been in with, lost, but went to distance. And Ennis broke the chin. He broke him and then dropped him twice in the sixth before getting him out of there. So now Abreu is going to be stopped a few more times through his career because that granite has been cracked. Once it's cracked, that's it. It never goes back to solid granite again. Once you finally chip away at it and crack it, it's done. And Ennis did that to him. So he's got the power. He's got a good personality. He's marketable. The only thing, the only negative I can say, and this is me being really picky. He did a lot of barking in his fight a lot of, uh, 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 when he was punching, that kind of shit. That could be timed. Don't do that stuff. That I would just say, clean that shit up, clean up the barking and the grunting on every shot, and then there's nothing else I could pick apart from this performance. Yes, he was in there with a guy who was softened up and tailor made for him to look good, but he didn't just look good. He could have went the distance and won 12 rounds and looked really good that way, but he had the style points, and that matters in boxing, man. So I'm sky high on Jerron Jeron Boots Emmis, really sky high. Uh, Super Chat Pledge from Harrison Property. Thank you so much. He says, uh, Mike, do you have an international number for calling, Mike? I'll call in. Thanks, buddy. So, yeah, if you're in the U.K., look right behind me on the screen, man. 020-810-36051. I think you got to put your country code before that. Um, But, yeah, so that's the international number if you're in the U.K., If you're in some other part of the world, just may as as well call the American number. You're going to have to pay. Uh, If you're in Australia, yeah, pick one. (laughs) Harrison Properties in Australia, call the American line or the UK line. You're going to have to pay long distance. Sorry, man. I only got two local lines for the show. Maybe in the future, if I get more callers from Australia, I can do a call, another line. But I pay the phone bill every month for these phone lines. And you know, each one of them, they get pretty expensive pretty quick. So, um, yeah, sorry, dude. Um, but, you know, if you could call in long distance sometime, uh, we'll keep it short. I'd love to get you on the show, brother. So, okay, I talked about Ennis over brew. Let's talk about King Tug. Tug Scott Nayayambar improved to 12-1 with a split decision win over Barbados native Kobeat Breedy, who was dropped in the first, dropped in the second, had an abysmal start. But calmed down. And changed the distance. He was standing at distance in the first two rounds. And Bar is, I want to say, like three, four inches taller, longer reach. And he was just clipping them at that range. But once Breedy got at mid-range, he was able to stay inside of that power for the most part. And his hand speed was actually pretty good. And he was actually, people that know, um, he had like, I want to say 100, 200 plus fights when He's a native of Barbados, but down there, and there's some pretty damn good Caribbean fighters. There's, don't sleep on the amateur system down there. They have some very good fighters. And he fought down there 100, 200 amateur fights. This dude is schooled. He's not a knockout puncher. Everything is an arm punch, but he has speed with those punches and nice angles. His footwork and um, kind of switching stance and getting on the outside, getting underneath, King Tug's punches, the hand speed, all of it was giving him a lot of problems. The Federal of Mongolia, who now trains out of Los Angeles. However, because of the early lead, King Tug had built up. Even though Breedy won several of the middle rounds and maybe one or so late rounds, but I don't really think he won any rounds late. I I think by the eighth, ninth round, his left eye was swollen almost shut. And he had moments, but the rounds were being controlled by King Tug. And he had built such an early lead and closed the show strong enough where I thought Nyanbar clearly won this fight. Uh, So the judges scored this really close, man. Glenn Feldman, 114-112. Steve Weisfeld, 114-113, which to me was crazy. Steve Weisfeld usually does a pretty good job. But he basically had, uh, in terms of rounds, he had Breedy winning. That's not the fight that took place. Just the, without the knockdowns, King Tug won this fight. Like, that's that's just what I saw. I was, again, I covered this fight for Ring TV, so I was watching it intently. I was watching round by round. And I think it was um, Steve Farhood on Showtime that was doing his, uh, you know, his ringside scorecard, and he had Nyan Barr winning pretty handedly, too. I, that's the fight I saw. But Don Trellis somehow had it 115, 111 for. Colby breeding, which means, again, with the two knockdowns, guys, that's nine rounds to three. That is not the fight that took place. So we'll talk about that in just a second, but I see we got a call here on the line. Let me jump over to the phone lines. Uh, anonymous, I don't see what number you're calling from, but you're on the line. You're on TNC, go.
1: Hey, Mike, how you doing?
0: What's up? Is this Harrison doing, property?
1: Uh, it's uh, John calling in.
0: Oh, how you doing, uh, brother? Could
1: be, yeah. <laughs> Hey, I'm good, How you thanks, doing, buddy. man? Uh, I, I yeah, good, good, good. Thank you. Um, I was feeling a little sorry for you, so I thought I'd better call in.
0: <laughs> it's all good, man. It's uh, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Honestly,
1: uh, I, I actually have nothing pretty much to talk about, uh, so
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not even well. Well, you know, know what? Okay, first
0: of it, all, yeah. what what time yeah. is it? Is it tomorrow over there? Is it Tuesday yet over there? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah, no, it's Tuesday, and uh, it's oh, almost 7 a.m., so...
0: Holy shit, morning, you're up but, early. Yep. Are you up for uh, work, or what?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I didn't sleep very well. I was, I was working, unfortunately, so... Okay. Uh, yeah, all night, but, um, yeah, yep.
0: That's, no, that's I just awesome. I wanted to
1: say, yeah, uh, one fight I'm looking forward to is, and I'm hoping that uh, they can uh, get it over the line, is uh, Chisora and Usyk. I'm really looking
0: forward to that one, so... Yeah. Uh, well, so Eddie Hearn's been talking about that. I'm sure you've seen the videos on social media of Usyk taunting Chisora, Chisora taunting Usyk. Mm. It's, it's been great. The yep. Two great personalities. But Eddie Hearn says that fight will happen by the end of this year. So I, I think that's another oh, okay. one
1: okay. Yep. that
0: probably oh, will like happen in December on the zone here in the States. Do you have the zone in Australia yeah. yet? I'm sorry. Do you do you have the zone over in Australia yet, or no? No, we
1: don't. No. Okay. Unfortunately, not. No.
0: And what is the bummer?
1: But uh, what's
0: yeah. the network over there that like that were that uh, just had the Tim Zoo fight? What network was that?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, to be honest, I have not. Okay. <laughs> I, I can't. I just
0: watched the replay on YouTube. So. Oh, I hear you. Hey, man. I don't blame you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Whatever network it is, over it'll be on. It'll definitely be televised over there, I'm sure. But um, probably yeah, in December.
1: Yeah. I, I really like that fight a lot. Uh, I find that very, very intriguing indeed. So, yep.
0: Yeah, that, that's yeah. a good place setter for Usyk to kind of show where he's at in the heavyweight division because Derek Chisora, on any given night, he could give any heavyweight in the world a tough, a tough night at the office so um well it, it, he, he's he's
1: back crazy i i, I can just <laughs> see him coming in taking punches just so he can try and catch Usyk. and oh yeah i i I' think he's going to run a freight train i really do I, I that's that's why it's so intriguing i i i just i, I it's yeah salivating that fight so um, yeah but uh, yeah
0: yeah that's that's i that's one that I'm definitely looking forward to, and it's pretty much a year in the making i mean it, There was a delay, I think it was supposed to happen late last year, but Usyk got injured, and then, of course, COVID. Mm -hmm. So it's one of those situations where we've been talking about it for a year plus, and I I just want to see the damn fight. I look forward to it.
1: Fingers crossed. And probably the only other one I would want to touch on that I find extremely intriguing is uh, Andrade and Billy Joe Saunders. I I love that fight as well. A lot of people don't, I know, but... uh, I just again I find that uh, intensely intriguing. So uh, yeah, you I know that
0: fight was supposed to, to happen. I think it was it last year or maybe maybe even twenty eighteen. Yeah, I know. And um, yeah. I I was actually interested in that fight too because it, it was kind of um, yep. put up or shut up time for both of them. So you know if that fight could be salvaged yep. at any point in the future, it probably uh, be at one sixty eight. But I would I would enjoy it. Yeah. I would enjoy seeing it.
1: Yeah. Oh, that would be great. Absolutely. Yes, sir. But uh, that's it, buddy. I've got nothing else. I just, like I said, I, I felt a little bit sorry for you and <laughs> um, I thought I'd call in. So.
0: <laughs> I appreciate your pity. <laughs> Have All a good right. day, John. Have a good morning. So, uh, you, yeah, yeah, you too. And uh, keep up the good work, okay? Thank you, sir.
1: All right. Not a problem, buddy. All Take
0: right. care. Bye. There he goes, okay. ladies you. and gentlemen. A pity call from John, otherwise known as Harrison Property here on the chat. Uh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm with him. I, Usyk Chisora. I, when that fight happens, I'm going to be very, very interested, especially with Usyk coming off an injury. You know, uh, how is it going to feel throwing? So because he's going to have to turn Chisora a lot. You know, there's going to be a lot of boxing and turning and angles. And, you know, we'll have to see how he looks after uh, after that. I think it was a shoulder injury. Uh, so back to Diambar Breedy. Breedy. Um, so, okay, I talked about Don Trello's shitty scorecard. Look, this has happened several times. And there was one a couple weeks ago. Who the hell was it? I can't remember. It was it Lou Moret? I think it was Lou Moret. But some of these guys, just every now and then, they have a scorecard that I, I just think is so bad that – the right man won, again, in this case, and I think in the other case with Lou Moret, the right man won, but what if, what if this scorecard determined who won the fight? I'm sorry, Breedy did good. He did better than people expected. You do not score fights based on someone exceeding your expectations or not living up to your expectations. You score fights based on who won each freaking round, and you score round by round. Each round is its own three-minute fight. That's how you score, okay? And I think so many people, including professional judges, score fights based on... I honestly think Don Trellis saw the first two rounds, how one-sided they were. And then when Breedy started doing better, he was like, oh, man, he's doing a lot better than he did in those first two rounds. I'm going to give him this round. Well, just because he's doing better doesn't necessarily mean he's winning the round. And I just thought, clearly... That King Tong won probably eight rounds in this fight. Anyway, for, for for Nyambar, he's definitely a top 10 featherweight, but I don't think he's top five. I just think he falls a little short of that. There just seems to be something missing with this guy where he has moments. He has really good moments, but he doesn't put it together in a whole fight. There's just these incomplete pieces of him in every fight. And I just think, you know, against the upper echelon, guys like Gary Russell Jr., the That's who defeated him the last time out in the ring. And I think that was earlier this year, actually. February, March, something like that. Uh, He's just always going to fall short. Always. And that's just how it is. For Breedy, he proved that he's a tough dude. I want to see him again. I want to see him back on American air again. He has earned that right with this performance. Okay, main event. Erickson Lubin. UD12, unanimous decision win over Terrell Goucher. He and Bruce to 23-1. Goucher waited way too long to get started. He hurt Lubin in the 10th, and then all of a sudden, a fight broke out. And rounds 10, 11, and 12 were actually pretty intriguing. Uh, Lubin landed a huge right hand with uh, Goucher in the corner, his, his back to the ropes, and Goucher showed he's got a pretty damn good beard because he ate a shot that would have pieced up most guys pretty bad, at least dropped him, definitely could have KO'd a lot of fighters in that division. So Lubin is, okay, well, let's start with Gouche. Gouche is just never going to be a top-tier pro. He's just not that guy. He had a good amateur record. I think he was in the World Series of Boxing briefly. He was uh, a national amateur champion a couple times and went to the Olympics. But he's going to end up becoming a gatekeeper level junior middleweight and maybe at some point middleweight. That's just where he's going to be as a pro. I don't see him as a top 10 junior middleweight. I never really did. He's just not that guy. For Erickson Lubin, he's 5-0 since the KO1 loss to Jermell Charlo in October 2017. That was three years ago, right? 5-0, he's beat some good fighters, but I don't see an elite, special fighter there. I see too many holes in his game. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. He's very young. I go back to the FAA Jogba example. Uh, Lubin, way... Way better than F.A. Jagba, I feel. Doesn't have the same kind of power, but he definitely is more schooled and more skilled. So he's further along, but he's nowhere near the level, obviously, of somebody like Jaron Boots Ennis, who we saw, right? Um, So he's just not that level of fighter. He's just not that guy. But at some point, he's going to be in line for another title shot. What's interesting is this was a WBC mandatory he is in line for the WBC 154-pound title, which, once we get to the fight preview, Jermel Charlo, who beat him and has that title, he lost it against Tony Harrison, won it back. He's going to unify with Jason Rosario, I think the WBA and IBF titles. So, the winner of that fight, if they want to keep their WBC title, will eventually have to face Erickson Lubin. It remains to be seen which one he'll fight, But did I see anything, have I seen anything in the past three years that makes me believe he's going to beat Jermell Charlo in a rematch? No. If somehow Jason Rosario beats Jermell Charlo this weekend, could Lubin possibly beat Jason Rosario? Maybe because of the styles. Because Rosario isn't the most technically sound boxer. But we'll talk about that way in the future. Obviously, I wouldn't pick Lubin against... Either of them, against Jamel Charlo or Jason Rosario. I just wouldn't pick him to beat either of those guys. But at this point, he's proven himself as a top 10 junior middleweight. Or maybe right in the bubble. That's a pretty loaded division. And I I do think he's in the bottom half of the top 10 now. So uh, good for him. He's still learning. All right, so let's get to the fight preview. And we got a loaded weekend here, guys. Uh, And not just the weekend, man. Wednesday, September 23rd, there's a PBC card on Fox Sports 1 from the Microsoft Theater in downtown Los Angeles. So you guys are going to get some boxing on Wednesday night. On Thursday night, there's a UFC Fight Pass card from Biloxi, Mississippi. Friday, September 25th, Tony Yoka, 7-0 heavyweight prospect, going up against, I think, his, his biggest test to date against uh, Johan Duapas in Paris. So Duapas and Yoka both from that part of the world. And they're going to be fighting there. I don't think there's going to be fans or anything, but I expect this to do a good rating over there in France. And it is a, uh, you know, that domestic kind of grudge match type of matchup. It's a good place setter uh, for Yoka to see where he places right now uh, uh, compared to the other heavyweight prospects. I like this matchup a lot. I think that if you guys can find that somewhere on YouTube or something, it'd definitely be worth checking out to see where Tony Yoka is because uh, you know, after the Olympics, there is high expectations for him. He's had issues with drug testing and things like that. I won't beat that dead horse, but um, it'll just be interesting to see where he's at because there's potential. There's definitely potential there. And look with heavyweights, you're always one or two fights out from a possible title shot. Now Yoka's is far away from that, but if he can, if he does really well against Dwapas, really, really well, the buzz will come right back. You're a one big knockout win in the heavyweight division. You're always one knockout win away from getting all the buzz back that you might have lost. So all that momentum that he lost, he does well against Dwapas this uh, Friday. Boom, it's right back, and people are talking about him again. Uh, Captain Hook Chronicles in the chat says, Mike um, – Mike, who previews a French fight? Everything is possible on this channel. <laughs> hey, I know, man. You've asked me about uh, you've asked me about Tony Oka a lot. And I, I haven't talked about him too much on the show. I haven't had too much to talk about as it relates to Tony Oka. But now I do. I like this fight a lot. I like this matchup a lot. Duapas is, generally speaking, pretty durable. And he's experienced. He's been in with top heavyweights. So he's going to bring all that experience in there. He has been softened up just enough. I think Wilder stopped him. Uh, He's taken some hard shots. He's been in some tough fights. So this isn't the absolute peak best version of Johan Duapis, but he's still very, very durable and a good gatekeeper level heavyweight. So we're going to see. This is a test for Yoka. We're going to see how he does with this test. Also Friday in Mexico, Sergei Bahuchek, 17-0, 154-pound prospect, uh, staying busy fighting down in mexico all right saturday september 26th it'll actually be my mother's 60th birthday this saturday my mother laura or as some people say laura uh turning 60 years old this uh saturday so i will be with family i'll be hanging out with my family celebrating my mother's birthday i mean 60 that's like a milestone number right so um I'm not going to see all these fights live. So I'm going to have to turn off my phone, turn off my Twitter, because I'm just not going to be able to see. I don't want any spoilers, damn it. So don't be tweeting me or messaging me Saturday. I'll be with family. But I'm going to try to convince my mom and everyone else to get the Charlo card. We might be watching that one. We shall see. We'll see what kind of mood mom is in. My mom likes boxing, okay? She's watched a ton of fights. So maybe we'll get her watching the fights, and we'll check out the Charlo card with the family. We shall see. But ESPN Plus card from London. Uh, Josh Taylor going up against an undefeated Thai fighter with a completely dog shit resume. But with these Thai fighters, you never know, dude. You just never know. Sometimes uh, the resume, they live up to their resume. And it's dog shit. Sometimes you get uh, you get a killer. Some of these guys come out of Thailand and they're just absolute killers, man. So Rung b you know what I'm saying? Sore Rungvi Rungvisai. A lot of you guys slept on him and didn't know much about him. And I understand. He didn't have a loaded resume. But when he went over here and fought Chocolatito, hey, now everyone knows who Rungvisai is, right? So uh, we don't know what's going to happen when Josh Taylor fights Opinion Kongsong. Opinion. I think it's Opinion Kongsong. They're both 16-0, but Taylor's 16-0, much more impressive than the Thai kids. But we'll find out. Usually Thai fighters are extremely durable. Extremely durable. So Taylor is defending his unified WBA and IBF 140-pound titles in this fight. And um, I think it's interesting. I want to see how Taylor looks. It's been almost a year since the World Boxing Super Series finale. That fight between him and ProGrey, it's only been about a year. It feels like that was three or four years ago. Because we just haven't seen either of them in the ring. So it'll be good to see Josh Taylor in the ring. I think he has real potential to become uh, a pound-for-pound level player in the sport. He's got the potential. He's got to take care of business against Kong Song. Captain Hill Chronicles in the chat says, She's young. Congrats to your mom. Thank you very, very much. I'll tell you said that. That'll make her day. Uh, World Boxing Super Series. Speaking of, the Cruiserweight finale finally happening. Finally happening this Saturday. Uh, In Munich, Germany, Uniel Nortikos, 24-1, 34 years old out of Cuba, going up against Marius Brady's, uh, 26-1, 35 years old out of Latvia. So in terms of the matchup, the numbers, Pretty even, man. I mean, these guys are pretty close in age, similar records. Dortikos is six foot three, eighty inch reach. Bradius is uh, six one with a seventy five inch reach. So Dortikos, a little longer, a little taller. And even though he's a year younger, I think he's a little older in boxing years. Okay, uh, he's he's been stopped. I mean, he was brutally stopped by Murat Gassiev. That was a br- brutal one punch kind of knockout. I think he got up, but he was done. But that was late in that fight, and he took a lot of punishment before it. Dorticos is another one of these guys. I talked about Juan Carlos Abreu earlier, where Dorticos has always had a pretty damn good chin. But Murat Gassiev got through it. He cracked it. Now, does Brady's hit hard enough to knock him out? No. But I think Brady's has a little more gas left in the tank, and he does... A little bit more on the inside of that mid-range. He's crafty. He fights dirty. He's one of the dirtier fighters in the sport when he wants to be. And I think he's going to get his way over in Germany. Dortikos will own the real estate from the outside. But on the inside of that mid-range, which is where Brady's is going to want to be, he'll, he'll run things there. And if things get chippy and dirty, that favors Brady's. Uh, Davidian Simmons asking, what's the number to call in? Look right behind me, my friend, on the sign right behind me. If you're in the States, it's 213-267-7787. Dortico's 2-0 since the TKO-12 loss to Gossiev in the first season of the World Boxing Super Series, the semis, back in 2018. He won the vacant IBF cruiserweight belt with a KO-10 win over Andrew Tabidi. That was a good performance. From Dorticos, Really good performance. Brady's is 3-0 since his majority decision loss to Alexander Usyk in the Series 1 semis in 2018. Uh, he had the WBO title after he beat Glovaki, but the WBO stripped him because they mandated an immediate rematch. And I remember you guys asking me well, is he going to fight the rematch or is he going to go into the World Boxing Super Series finale? I said, oh, he's going to go into the finale because there's a guaranteed bonus in it for him if he wins. There's actually more money in it for Brady's to dump the BO title and go into the World Boxing Super Series finale against Dorticos than there would have been to keep the BO title and fight Klovakia again. So it's prize fighting, baby. You do it for the money. And that's what he's doing here. Uh, Neither man has fought. Since they fought in season two World Boxing Super Series semifinals in June. Who will a 15-month layoff affect more? My hunch, it's going to affect, it's going to affect Dorticos more because he is going to rely on boxing from the outside, timing. Brady's is just going to get nasty, get inside on him, and rough him up. And yes, there will be ring rust there, but The timing, you don't need it as much for that style. So I think the layoff is going to affect Dortico's more. I expect Brady's to win this fight by decision. Super chat pledge from my man, John Uden. Thank you so much, brother. He says, I'm taking Brady's. He went toe-to-toe with Usyk and is technically better. Dortico's power is real, but can get a bit wild. Brady's could catch him with a perfect shot. Also, will this be the end of the World Boxing Super Series? First of all, good point, man. You know, uh, you make a good point that Brady's is probably better technically. I think um, the Dorticos does come from that Cuban school, but he is a little more rugged. I just think Dorticos is better from the outside because of his length and he knows how to use it. But you're right. He does get wide and looping with the shots. And I expect Brady's to get under that power, under those looping shots, get inside and do his work. I think it's going to distance. I don't think Bredis will stop him, but anything's possible. Um, Is this the end of the World Boxing Super Series? I don't know, man. They they talked about doing a third season, and they were actually talking about bringing on female fighters too because they'd come super cheap. And generally speaking, over in Europe and in Asia and in Latin America, uh, the female fighters do pretty well, especially in Europe though. Certain European countries – Um, the female fighters actually do decent ratings, and if they got any of the Japanese girls involved and stuff, maybe some of the Mexican fighters involved, um, they you know they could probably do pretty well with it. So, they were talking about doing, I think, three different um, men's divisions and then a female division, something like that. So, they were talking about it, but it'd just be about raising money. I, I know this, they absolutely can't do it in the current. Situation, they can't do it in COVID. But if we get back to 100% with, you know, uh, fans being allowed at fights and stuff, then yes, it's very possible, and I do think it could come back next year. I really, really do. But in this current state, you ain't going to hear nothing about it. And with the zone being in the condition it's in right now, you're not going to hear nothing about it. If we get back to, you know, I still think post-election, a lot of this COVID stuff's going to quiet down. If we get back to 100% full attendance next year, and then Canelo and everything with the zone kind of gets cleared up, I think we'll see a season three eventually. If that stuff doesn't get cleared up, though, it might kill it for good, man, which is a shame because I really enjoyed it. Harrison Property with the Super Chat. Thank you so much, man. He says, uh, you're absolutely correct, Mike. My wife is Ty. So I spend a lot of time in Thailand. Thailand has a lot of hidden gems coming out of the woodwork. Thanks. Yeah, dude. Man, I'm jealous. I'd love to go over there. I have friends that have been over to like Phuket, and uh, they had a blast. They absolutely freaking loved it over there. So one of these days, one of these days, I'd love to get over there. All right, we got another phone call here. Let me jump to the phones. Um, Let's see. 716. You're on TNC. Go.
2: Uh, hey. Hey, what's going on? Uh, you know, great show. Um, I don't know. I just, this is my first time actually on a show. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I can't wait to, you know, this week, you know, just to see the Charlo brothers. I'm definitely going to watch that. So, the fights last week was pretty good with Lubin yeah. and Gache. you know, so. It's a solid card, man. Man, right? I'm, I, yeah. Yeah, I can't. You know, I just can't wait because I really think the travel is gonna, they're gonna turn up. I know they're in tough fights, but I really like Jamel and Jamal. I like Jamal's jab, and his, like uppercut. Like I think, you know, it's you know I don't know. We'll see. But I really think they're gonna handle their business on Saturday. So, but it's not gonna be easy, of course, because yeah. and Durbinchenko are pretty. They they solid. So. May the best
0: man win. I hear you, brother. That's
2: that's
0: my call. I didn't catch your name, man. What's your name?
2: Davidian.
0: Oh, this is Davidian. Oh, what's up, man? Okay, I didn't know it was you. Uh, Yeah. Thanks for calling in, man. Yeah, look, I was actually about to get to that fight preview. And, look, I agree with you, brother. Like, I'm starting to feel like just a gut feel that both Charlos are going to make statements Saturday. I actually think they're both – gonna have statement type of performances and I think they're both gonna get knockout wins. It's just I just a gut feel I have. It's not gonna be easy but no, I really no, see no. that yeah, happening. About it. I went
2: back and back and forth, you know, because I liked Rosario's performance against J Rock. Right. Um, but I don't know, Charlo's just totally I like the way they their feed him. He's just got quick reflexes. I don't know, you know. You know, he has to be careful though, because Rosario does have, you know, got a good, you know, Got heavy hands. So. Right. But I think, I don't know, it's, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be explosive. So, yeah. So, I got to ask this. Uh, thank you.
0: Well, I got to ask you one question before I let you go. Are you buying it or are you streaming it?
2: Oh, of course. I'm I'm always going to buy it. Like, okay. I, like, you know, I'm always going to buy the support. Like, you know, like Earl Spence, I'll watch, you know, the – uh, of course, um, headweights. Um, Tyson Fury and Wilder. Like I'll buy those, mm. you know. And then now, you know, the tour are gonna be on okay. paper. So I'm gonna always buy. It. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna steal nothing or stream it or I don't know. I'm just not gonna do that. I'm just
0: that's man, awesome, I'm brother. Do it the right way. That's awesome, bro. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey man, call at any time, brother. I appreciate you calling the show, man. All right. Thank you. All right, man. Have a good one. Yep. There we go, ladies and gentlemen, Davidian. Yeah. So he kind of, um, I kind of preemptively got to my opinions on this, uh, on the Charlo card. But uh, it, let me jump into that because I talked about the World Boxing Super Series finale, which I'm excited for that fight. I, the, the cruiserweights always deliver. They always deliver, and I think that those two are going to deliver Saturday. But let's talk about the big show, Showtime pay per view from the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. Uh, real quick, undercard. I think this is a solid undercard, and like I've seen people shitting on it on on Twitter and stuff. Uh, well, number one, okay. Before I get to that, let, let me get on a soapbox a second here with the pay per view aspect. I get it. It's seventy five dollars. A lot of you don't feel this should be on pay-per-view. If it were me, and I was managing these fighters, I would want to play the long game. Meaning, instead of getting the big payday right now and going pay-per-view, let's put this on Fox. Let's put this on regular Fox, 100 million-plus homes. Maybe it's more than that. And every sports bar in America this will be on, all you got to do is turn on Fox, right? You could go to any bar or pub down the street you can go to a damn pizza joint, your, your local neighborhood restaurant, and ask them to turn the TV on to Fox, and you can see this card. I think that would be huge. And think about it. Every airport would have this shit on, right? Everywhere. It's, it's, it's just regular Fox. That's what I would put this show on. And I would tell the Charlo brothers and everybody else, look, man, instead of getting two, three mil, the career high payday, we can only give you a mil. Hell, we can only give you seven fifty. But Do this now, and there's five, six, seven million dollar paydays down the line. Build up your brand, okay? Look at what uh, Deontay Wilder and uh, Tyson Fury just did on pay-per-view, Fox pay-per-view, not Showtime pay-per-view, earlier this year. It Yeah, it didn't do a million pay-per-view buys, but it did, I don't know, 800, 900,000, and both dudes made eight figures, tens of millions of dollars, right? Play the long game. Right, that, that that would be my philosophy. But we don't know what the future holds with COVID. We don't know when fans can come back. And the management and the fighters have decided they're going to go. They're, they're gonna play the short game and go for the money right now. I get it. I, I will never disapprise a prize fighter for going for the money. For some fans, that are really upset that this is a seventy-five dollar pay per view, and I understand. I'm always going to stick up for the fans. I, I hate pay per view okay? But there's a certain segment of boxing Twitter slash MMA Twitter, and I I actually tweeted about this yesterday. And I wasn't talking about nobody in particular, but I see more and more people shitting on boxing nonstop, saying the best ain't fighting the best. Bullshit matchups. And UFC is crushing it. UFC, the best are fighting the best, right? And I've talked about how different boxing is from UFC. It's much bigger globally. You're, you have to deal with many different entities and uh, commissions and regula- regulatory authorities and all this. There's also different laws, the Ali Act and everything. Boxing is way more regulated than UFC. MMA, I should say. So you can't really make It's an apples to oranges comparison. But these same people that are shitting on boxing, you know, the best ain't fighting the best right now, blah, blah, blah. Well, dude, look at this card. I'm not saying, like, none of these guys are stars. And when I think pay-per-view, when I think of the 80s and 90s, and I think pay-per-view, stars fought on pay-per-view. None of these guys are stars. They're not there yet. None of them, okay? So, yeah, like, in the old school mindset I got, this isn't a pay-per-view card. But Charlo, Jamal Charlo, Sergei Derevyanchenko, that's two top five middleweights. Jermel Charlo and Jason Rosario—that's two top-five junior middleweights. So this truly is an example of the best fighting the best. The, these are two fights where you have two top-five fighters in their respective divisions fighting each other. So UFC people act like UFC does that shit on free TV all the time. No, usually it's on their pay-per-views. They do a lot of pay-per-views over there, right? And they do put the best against the best. I don't want to make this a boxing versus UFC thing. It, because there are things UFC is doing very good right now. And there are things that boxing could do better right now. Of course, we know this. But this is a situation where you got two good quality fights. It's on pay-per-view. Just like Davidian just said, he's going to buy this. He's going to support it. Uh, look, man, if you got 75 bucks and you want to check out these great fights, if you were going to buy a pay-per-view this year, This is it. This is the best pay-per-view top to bottom this year. Again, would I rather it be on regular TV? Yes, of course. But it's not. It's on pay-per-view. And all things considered, it's a pretty damn good card. It might be the best card top to bottom that PBC's ever done. I've been saying that for a couple months. It's among one of the best cards I've ever done. Top two, three, four cards PBC has done since they've been around since, what, 2014, 2015? So that's saying something, man. Okay. Undercard, Daniel Roman coming off his loss to Akhmedailev in January, where he was competitive in that loss. Daniel Roman is a guy who's willing to fight anybody. Going up against Juan Carlos Payano, who uh, KO1 lost to Naoya Inoue in 2018, KO9 lost to Luis Neri in 2019 on the Pac-Thurman card. So he's had a couple of bad losses recently. But he's an experienced guy who's been in with some very good fighters. He's a quality fighter. Roman Payano is a solid matchup. That's a solid matchup. Also, uh, Brandon Figueroa coming off his dis- disputed draw with Julio Ceja versus Damian Vasquez, a uh, fighter out of Colorado with some decent experience. That's an okay fight. This is for the WBO Super Bantamweight title. Decent fight. Uh, but Luis Neri fighting for the vacant WBC Super Bantamweight fight. So perhaps you get the winner in the future between Brandon Figueroa and Damian Vasquez. Perhaps the winner will fight Luis Neri because he's going to win his fight. And unified titles early next year. So you have something you could possibly build to there. Also, uh, John Rael Casamero, Filipino fighter. Very exciting Filipino fighter. Defending his WBO Bantamweight title. An undefeated Russian junior middleweight, Bakram Murza <laughs> Shit. Uh He's fighting as well. And he might be a future opponent for one of the Charlo brothers. So, all in all, decent talent on that undercard. A lot of times the undercard is shit. I think all things considered, pretty solid undercard, man. If, if that... Just that whole undercard I just put together, okay? If that undercard was a Showtime show. Just regular Showtime. You guys would say, hey, this is a pretty decent Showtime show. I'm not saying it would be great, but you'd be like, yeah, this is pretty damn decent. There's a lot of fighters here. All right. Let's get to uh, the two main fights. Jermell Charlo defending his WBC 154-pound title going up against Jason Rosario, who's defending his WBA and IBF junior midway titles. So this is a three-title unification, and I get it. The BC, in particular the BA, are disgusting. But all things considered, for this fight, these are three legitimate titles, guys. Uh, Jamal Charlo beat Tony Harrison to get his title back. And Jason Rosario beat J-Rock, who beat Jarrett Hurd. So all things considered, these are three legit titles. These aren't paper titles. So three of the four titles being unified, this is a damn good fight. Jamal KO-11... Tony Harrison, his last fight in December. And, of course, Rosario with the TKO5 win over Julian Williams back in January. Here's the big difference between these guys. Resume. So, look, the Charlos don't have the best resumes. They they don't. But you can make a case that Jermel has the better resume. Even though he's got a loss, he's got a better resume right now than Jermall. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why, Okay. Jermel has fought Tony Harrison twice, but he has wins over Gabe Rosado, uh, Vans Monterosian. He has that KO1 win over Erickson Lubin, who's a proven top 10, 154, and a still serviceable Austin Trout. So none of those are great names, but they're all solid names. So Jermel Charlo actually has the better resume, even though he's got a loss on his record. Losses don't mean shit. They really don't. Rosario has that win over J-Rock, and the rest of his resume is very weak. So the X factor in both of these fights have questions and X factors. The X factor in this fight is how real is Rosario? Did he strike lightning in a bottle against uh, against J-Rock earlier this year? Was it just the right matchup at the right time, the best camp of his life, and it was just the night of his life, or was it the first time he trained that serious and added new wrinkles to his game and showed us who he really is. Those questions will be answered in this fight. Okay? In the other main event, I don't know which one is the true main event. I think I guess this one would be because it's uh it's at middleweight, but Jermal Charlo 30 and 0 going up against Sergey Derevyanchenko 13 and 2. And his his resume makes him look like he's a prospect. He's not. That 13 and 2 record, you usually see that, and you think prospect, right? No. This dude's a contender. He's a top five middleweight. This is of course for Charlo's WBC middleweight title, which I would say is paper thin. So the title on the line in this fight, eh, kind of papery, right? It's it's not as solid because I think he won an interim title against a B level opponent, and then he got elevated. So, uh, whatever. The, the title really don't mean shit in this fight. It's still a good quality fight between two top five middleweights. Jermal has a decent resume at 154, but at 160, it's dog shit. He has fought um, Jorge Highland, Hugo Centeno, Matt Korobov, Brandon Adams, and Dennis Hogan. And I want to say it was like Dennis Hogan or Brandon Adams for that interim WBC title. I can't remember exactly. Maybe it was Korobov, who a lot of people felt he lost to. I felt he, he eked it out against Korobov. But this fight truly is the proving ground for him. This is shit or get off the pot for Jamal Charlo. As I mentioned just a minute ago, I think if Jermel, even though he has a loss on his record, has the better resume of the two Charlo brothers, it's time for Jamal to step up. It really truly is. And for Sergey Drovianchenko, he's he's got a very good resume. His last three fights: Daniel Jacobs, Jack Colke, Gennady Golovkin. If you look at those three fights, though, and here's the X factor and the big question for this matchup, dude, that was thirty-six rounds of hell. Distance fights, grueling fights. Jacobs, he got dropped. Colt K, he, got, he took ate plenty of leather. He won that fight, but he ate plenty of leather in the process. And he was dropped and really, quite frankly, beat up by Gennady Golovkin. Look at his face after that Golovkin fight. It was bad for over a week. Golovkin, yeah, he looked vulnerable in that fight, but he really put a whooping on Derevianchenko, And we just don't know how he's going to look after 36 straight rounds, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back distance, grueling fights where he took, uh, you know what, I couldn't find punch numbers for the Colquet fight because I was going to give you guys like the number of punches he's taken in those three fights. But rest assured, it's well over 500. It's well over 500 punches. So he was competitive in all three of those fights, but technically one and two uh, on the cards. Now, for what it's worth, I thought Jacobs beat Derevianchenko. I know a lot of people thought Sergey won that fight. I thought Jacobs edged it. I thought Golovkin edged it. I thought I was cool with the scorecards for Sergey in both the Jacobs fight and the Golovkin fight. He was close, but just not enough to win those fights, especially with the knockdowns. But he was super competitive. Um, let's see. Let's compare numbers a little bit. And this is a big one too that no one's talking about. Although Stephen Bredman Edwards was on the show when he talked about this. Jermol Charlo is six feet tall, seventy-three inch reach. Sergey de is five foot nine. They list him at five nine, he's really five eight. Sixty-seven inch reach. So Jermol is four inches taller, has six inch six-inch longer reach. He's a much bigger, longer guy. And that's going to play a factor in this fight. Also, Charlo is 30 years old, really hitting his physical prime. Dravianchenko's 34, but he's an old 34. I just talked about those 36 rounds of hell he's been through his last three fights. But also, he had a long amateur career. He was in the 2008 Olympics. People hear, he's only got 15 pro fights. How the hell could he have been in the 2008 Olympics? You, you would think 2012... Even maybe 2016 games. No, this dude was in the 2008 Olympics. And then he fought in the World Series of Boxing for four seasons. Four years. That's where he was before he ended up going pro. So he has an extensive amateur career. And that's why he's such a good fighter. But he also, man, those World Series of Boxing fights, they should count towards your pro record, in my opinion, because you're training for them just like the pros. And, you know, all that takes a toll. So Charlo, being the size he is, I, I get it that Derevianchenko's much more experienced, fought the much better opposition, probably a better skilled fighter than Charlo. But Charlo's more athletic, taller, longer, stronger, younger, fresher, more explosive. And I'm telling you right now, guys, this is not going to be a popular opinion because a lot of people are picking Derevianchenko, and I might like I might look stupid. It wouldn't be the first time. It won't be the last. But. I, I liked Jamal Charlo by late TKO in this fight. I could see uh, maybe uh, Drevinchenko's corner throwing in the towel. I could see the ref stopping it. I could see a possible cut causing a late stoppage or something like that. But I just see Charlo winning by late TKO in this fight. And with Charlo Rosario, I think that Rosario has to get off to a good start, a quick start. And Jermel is usually a late starter. So I could see Rosario winning the early rounds. But I see him, uh, I see Charlo making adjustments in the mid rounds, coming on late and pulling it out down the stretch and either winning uh, fairly decisively on the scorecards or possibly scoring a late stoppage himself because he could get Rosario to reach and he could land a counter uppercut, similar to what we saw Ennis do against a Brew uh, last Saturday, similar to what he was able to do to J-Rock a few years back, land that counter uppercut. Uh, I think a shot like that could open up in the later rounds. All Jermelo Charlo has to do, in my opinion, is survive the early rounds with Jason Rosario, make adjustments in the middle of rounds, And he could, I'm not going to say coast, but he could take over late in this fight. So that's how I see it. I see uh, Charlo winning either 116-112 on the scorecards over Rosario or scoring a possible late TKO, dropping Rosario once or twice with like uh, an explosive counterpunch he doesn't see coming. And Charlo Derevianchenko, I actually think that this will be very competitive early on. But I just think Charlo's size and explosiveness will take over in the middle rounds. And I like Charlo, Jamal Jerm- Charlo, to score a late knockout win over Sergei Drevyanchenko. So that's how I see it, guys. And overall, I think that's a great freaking card, man. I think that is a great freaking card. And I highly recommend checking it out. That's it, man. Wow. What a preview today. We had so much to preview. So... It's it's exciting to have this much to talk about for a weekend of boxing. I hope what we see in the ring lives up to the hype. And I hope that on next week's show, we got all kinds of stuff to review. A lot of good action to review and talk about. I think that'll be fun, man. All right, guys, we'll do it again next week. I'll see you at the fights.